0: welcome to the crazy wisdom podcast this podcast is for you if you have an insane drive to find the truth of things it's not the good answers that we seek but the good questions i interview a range of different guests from many different fields all with the intention to uncover the simple truths that are hidden in plain sight most people don't want to go there i go there my guests go there and you benefit Please let me know if you enjoy these episodes and, as always, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the podcast. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest today is Nader Khalil. He is CEO and co-founder of BrevDev. Uh, and welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thank you. Thanks so
0: much for having me. Uh,
1: so what is BrevDev? Um, At a high level, we just make it really easy to use GPUs. We connect to a bunch of different data centers and clouds and providers to reliably get you access to a GPU. And then we'll also set it up. We'll install the right CUDA versions and Python versions. We have a really simple UI, so you can just point and click and change the Python and CUDA version of the machine. Um, We make guides that make it really easy to fine tune and train models. Uh, We make those guides really easy to run on GPUs. And so you can run them on GPUs that aren't ours, or you can run them on ours. the goal is with any guide on it, you'll see a one-click deploy button. What that does is it finds the GPU with the minimum hardware requirements. It installs the right, like the uh is ready for you to fine-tune, train, or deploy.
0: Can you go into more what CUDA is? I I, I do this weird thing called spaced repetition memorization, uh, and uh, so <laughs> uh, uh, and I have CUDA. And so I've learned what CUDA means, which is compute unified data architecture. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So um, CUDA at a high level, you can think of it just like the GPU drivers. And so when you're when you're building, uh, you know, AI applications, you're fine tuning models or training models, you're, you know, you're running code on hardware. Um, the hardware is much more specialized than if you were to write like traditional application code that just runs on a CPU. And so um, CUDA is... Uh, a really phenomenal software suite built by NVIDIA that's used on NVIDIA GPUs that just makes it so that you can do more powerful things on the GPUs. And so um, uh, I think one reason why you might have heard people refer, like, you know, get really frustrated with CUDA is because it's much more low level than a lot of the application developers that would typically, or like application layer than that we typically kind of code with. I think what's really cool about the cycle right now that we're seeing with AI, we kind of Cambrian explosion that we're seeing is a lot of people are galvanized to build AI applications. And what that means is it's not really just like data scientists and AI engineers from 2018 that are just louder today. It's there's a, the, the pie itself has grown, right? There's like more application developers that now were, you know, used to building react apps and using for sale. And now they want to go and build uh really cool AI applications. And so you're not typically used to going to this low level and that's kind of why like CUDA itself isn't that hard it's just different if that makes sense yes it does uh and it's and it's so interesting i've been trying to wrap
0: my head around this as a non-technical person cuz i don't like i don't like to go uh as low level as programmers uh, but i do like to go somewhat lower than than uh your average non-technical person and um it's really interesting just wrapping my head around software development and programming in general i've become really interested in this distributed computing uh future uh which is like a a, a sort of thing that a lot of people aren't paying attention to which is like how do we build peer-to-peer uh networked based software uh that's totally distributed and that's not in the client to server relationship uh and so there's a one project specifically called urbit Uh, on that. And they developed their own functional programming level uh, language, which is just totally wild. It looks like runes. And one of my friends described <laughs> it. Yeah, it, one of my friends described it as essentially like every time he's writing Hoon, he feels like he's summoning a demon from the underworld or something like that. It's uh, <laughs> that's very esoteric. Uh and uh and so this this programming, the CUDA, what you were mentioning about CUDA and like low level, these programmers are going in and trying to understand this thing. It reminds me of that. It's like every time there's a new thing that because basically what machine learning is is that they've they've taken these embeddings. And they've, they've taken features in our uni- universe that have a lot of dimensions to them. And then they lower those dimensionality and then basically, um, but while preserving relevant features uh, and then so taking snapshots of our universe and then consolidating them into language and making them like much lossly compressed, I believe. And so... So and it feels like there's like a lot of math involved in there that I don't understand at all. Um, and then the but it's like a whole new way to do things that's gonna obviate a lot of the things that we've done in the past, right? Is that is that accurate? What parts of that are not accurate or what parts are accurate?
1: Yeah, and I, I think actually like a, a theme that you touched on, which I think is really uh applicable, is you know, a strong theme of like computer engineering and engineering in general is like Uh, layers of abstraction where each rung lets you kind of forget variables that you don't have to care about. You just mentioned something, I think pretty interesting, which is there's a lot of math that you don't understand. And the nice thing is you don't have to understand it, right? You can, um, we can kind of build rungs of this ladder that lets you not have to worry about math so that you can build AI applications. And, um, you see this actually from the entire like stack of like what a computer is built on. You have electrons that move around to make circuitry, but if you were to if you were to like map out if you were to build a transistor using like having to worry about you know v equals IR and like yeah. all the uh all the like electrons that are flowing, that'd be really hard. So what we typically do is we build these things called logic gates, where you say, like, this is an and gate, this is an or gate, and it takes two variables and then it outputs you know some sort of result and if you focus on the logic gate level you're no longer worrying about the uh how many transistors are sitting there underneath you can start to build like logical uh sentences, if you will. And then you can even go higher than that and say, we can put enough and gates or or gates together that we can actually add numbers. And now you can build a truly like a, like a calculator mm. using just sort of gates. And then once you have adders, once you have these calculators, you can go even a level higher and you can kind of keep riding that where you kind of forget variables that aren't going to really serve you. And there's going to be more of a mess for you to manage. And so, um, uh, I mean, yeah, uh, that, that theme applies I the think, whole to, stack to, Yeah.
0: And so can we go further into that CUDA, the, 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 and this seems relevant to what you guys are specifically doing is, is you guys are attempting to lower that abstract or abstract away a lot of the stuff so that people, programmers who aren't in this machine learning world can
1: get, uh, get up to speed. Is that right? um yeah and actually not just people that aren't in the machine learning world but also people that have a very strong understanding of the learning world like harper head of ai at brev like she uses brev out of choice um you know she could use any tooling she wants as she's making guides together it's um if you're in the layer if you're on the rung of the ladder that's focusing on fine-tuning or training models you probably don't want to get into all all of the really deep nitty-gritty stuff and so Um, it, so we kind of see actually our user base twofold where we see a lot of people that know exactly what they're doing. Um, and then we see people that are kind of like, Hey, I saw this guide. It's showing me how to fine tune the Mistral seven B model on my Apple notes. Um, that's why I'm here. And so, uh, yeah,
0: that's cool. What are the main problems that, uh, people, not people who already know what they're doing, but people who don't know what they're doing, what are the main problems they experience when they fine tune models
1: locally? Um, there. I mean, as with any coding, like there are errors that you're going to encounter. Maybe your data is not formatted correctly. Maybe you're confused on some, something on like how to format the data. Um, and so something I've noticed is uh, for, for that user base, um, it's often perceived as if the code doesn't work, that it's like a bug, like Brev is down. Um, and so we, we've we made uh, to mitigate that because there also are times where, you know, we're a startup where there might be some some bugs or something like that. Um, so we've just mitigated that by making special channels in our Discord specifically for um, fine tuning. And that's actually been really nice because people have been very collaborative. Like there are some folks that have just been like power users and they're being really helpful to others in the community. So that's been cool to see. But um, I think something we've learned over the like two years we started brev in 2021 uh in like february 2021 um uh layers like if, you, if you're climbing a ladder and your foot goes between two rungs you, you'll kind of slip and fall it doesn't feel good it, you really want to feel tactile on like which rung you're putting your foot on in order to feel comfortable to take a step and so um i think what one thing that we've been trying to be very careful with and we had a big product launch in october um where we launched Brev 2.0. And a lot of that was folding in these learnings, which is we don't wanna build an abstraction if we're not fully abstracting the user to the next rung. Mm. So if you're you're fine tuning or training a model, there are parameters that you're gonna tweak. You are gonna run this on a GPU. And so what we used to do is we used to install Python and CUDA for you behind the scenes. And that was really confusing because if you wanted to change your Python or CUDA version, how do you, you do, you weren't the one at the helm, right? You were given a service rather than a tool, a service installed this stuff for you and now you wanna change it. And so you kind of have to like ask the service and the service didn't expose that. And so that's really frustrating. So what we iterated a lot on and what we landed on for this current, for this iteration of Brev, which has been working for us is we've separated provisioning a GPU, essentially getting one from a data center or cloud um, and configuring the GPU. And we've made an open source tool called Verb, which is Brev backwards. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, that lets you install Python and CUDA very reliably. Interesting. And so um, that's kind of, and so we just, we built a UI that makes it really simple. So the way verb works is it takes like a YAML definition and you can fill out this YAML field, like the YAML fields, and it'll generate a Docker, an ML optimized Docker container that's meant for SSHing into the instance, makes that really easy, has Jupyter notebook support, like all that kind of stuff that we added. Um, And uh, Mm -hmm. our UI, Kind of recognizes that for the user in that frame of our UI, probably just cared about Python and CUDA. So we just have dropdowns for Python and CUDA that when you hit build, that fills the YAML out and then we go and build the container. But this I like a lot because you're always at the helm. And so our template can provide the Python and CUDA version, but if you're going through the template and you change something and now you want a different Python version, well, it's trivial. You just go to the UI, you pick the new one in the dropdown, and you build the container. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. That's really cool. So, and, and the, I believe what you said initially was local model, local Mastral. So is this a, is what you're, is BrevDev, is that something that I would download on my computer or is it something that I would interact with, with
1: a web-based UI? Um, so there's, there's multiple ways to, yeah. to interface it. I think like a good product just gets the user from where they are to where they want to go with as little friction as possible and with as like without imposing as much as possible and so if you could train a model on your mac um, we would build templates for that, but that's not really feasible yet. It could be maybe in like two, three years, that might be the case. But right now it's a, a much more effective workflow is to train their model on a GPU in the cloud and then download them to your Mac and run it locally because running it, you, you can run it on like a cheaper GPU or on like a weaker GPU. And so right now the Mistral seven B fine tune guide, for example, um, we have a bunch of different guides for like Wama 2, like image gen, whatever. But the Mistral one, I think has been very popular lately, um, for that guide. Um, we get you a cheap GPU in the cloud. It's like I think the a ten is the one that it's running on, which is about a dollar or a dollar fifty depending and then once you finish that and it only takes you know an hour or so to 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 fine tune you can download it and I believe on Saturday, Harper released a guide on how to run that model locally on your Mac so mm. So I think those are kind of the two flows. And we're still building out the whole workflow. Like, I want that to be way smoother. So that'll be coming soon. But uh, but yeah, baby steps.
0: What do you <laughs> think about, in like, I'm, this is so interesting and, and, and I'm, uh, like, this is beautiful. Uh, what do you think about fine tuning? What do you think about the business environment uh, in terms of fine tuning uh, versus using consumer implementations like? OpenAI. Do you think OpenAI is going to eat up a bunch of these companies that are trying to fine-tune models and just offer that to themselves? Like, where is the business use case between just using RAG uh, to 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 go into and for my listeners, RAG is uh, retrievable augmented generation, I believe, where you have uh, the base LLM and then you have the web search capability, and it goes into the unstructured internet and it comes goes takes the unstructured internet and brings it back and makes it. Uh, applicable. Um, where do you th- find this line between what open AI is going to do or what all these other larger companies are going to do versus this open sor- source world and and where that's headed?
1: Yeah, I think um I think there's like the 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 pie is getting really large and it's getting mm-hmm. and it's going to be a lot larger. And so there's going to be a lot of use cases that pop up. I think something that I see which is really interesting and exciting to me is um, I, I don't know if you, if you follow Swix on Twitter, but he he, he coined uh, S-W-Y-X. He coined this idea of the AI engineer, uh, which is essentially these product folks that have that are experimenting with AI. They don't want to start with fine tuning. That isn't the place to start. And if you're building a product from scratch, I wouldn't recommend you to start with Brev. Um, you should probably mm-hmm. just play around with the use case and figure that out. Once you have your use case, um, then you could go and fine tune your own model for the use case that you care about. And a way to think of it is, you know, when I'm using GPT 4 and chat GPT for my, for code gen one on the rag point, it doesn't know my code base. So I'm kind of stuffing the context window with a lot of snippets that I think is relevant. Um, so it'd be really nice if it just knew my code base. Um, but I'd also don't want to give GPT for my entire code base. <laughs> um, but then also as it, as I'm using it for code help, it's kind of, it's funny that, um, uh, it also knows like World War II history and I'm paying for that, right? It's a really large model that kind of knows everything. Um, so I think what a really cool use case of fine tuning is getting the use case that you actually care about, focusing a model on, u- on fine tuning on that. It ends up being much cheaper to build, much cheaper to run and much more tailored to your use case because it has access to your code and all that kind of stuff. So these are things that I'm thinking about. Like, I, um, you know, even like last week uh, or like last few weeks, ChatGPT has been very frustrating to use. Um, I kind of stopped even. Um, It doesn't seem to want to write code. It wants to give me paragraphs of what I should do, like things like that. And like, you know, it goes back to the abstraction level. I think if you're going to use a tool, you need to be able to rely on it. Like if if you're in the business of building houses and you have a hammer, but then every week your hammer kind of changes, like that's not going to work. <laughs> you need to know that when you hit the nail it's going to go in.
0: Well um, this is this is so funny at a at a philosophical lens to talk about what you just mentioned because what I love about it what I've been trying to think and what I've tra- been trying to express in the last few days is that this uh llms represent a step function in computing for the last 30 to 40 years we'd had automation and automation was deterministic so you'd you'd put the input in and you'd get the output you were expecting
1: Hmm. and this
0: is you put the input in and you get hallucinatory output uh that they've that they've rlhdf into a sort of like a kind of a world view um that and somehow emergently the thing has become extremely lazy and won't do the things that you want it to do anymore And it's just so wild that we're entering into this world where we've created this sort of like a hallucinatory two year old uh, that's just kind of coming up with like hallucinations that is just like that are totally wild and that can't be predicted, which like is completely opposite to the last 40 years of of what we've been doing. And so like there's a sort of like a crazy wisdom theme to this, which is that, you know, if you want to get prepared for this world, you'd probably want to do crazy things like psychedelics and other types of things. I'm not suggesting anybody do any psychedelics or anything like that, but, but you get it. Like, it's like, you go to go into lucid dreaming so that you can kind of like wield this tool,
1: which is like a more of a magician tool than, than that. What's your take on that? (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's super interesting. I, um, I hadn't thought of the model kind of like, like essentially, out of its own will deciding to give less output. I almost wondered if there was opti- like um you know as OpenAI is having like a Cambrian explosion of users and like every you know my mom's using it now um yes. who are they tailoring their use case towards because my mom is having a lot of fun using it and she's using less compute than I am she's not stuffing the context window with code yeah, snippets that. so yeah. if they just say hey we're gonna shorten the context window or we're gonna ask like or if they if they got the model to output less tokens right which is probably why it doesn't want to write code anymore um that my mom won't notice and most of the users won't notice so you see uh you can you can like handle more users with less with the same amount of GPUs, if you will. um but that makes it much harder for power output users yes. like health and other developers well, and it seems like OpenAI's main business model is not necessarily
0: chat GPT, but it's the fact that it's the API that they've built in order to use their chat use their use their their technology at which while mm-hmm. also making money. Is that accurate, do you think?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that I don't know how much of their revenue comes from chat GPT versus uh, the APIs, but I mean, definitely the APIs are insanely popular. Uh, I think chat GPT is probably a great way to inspire use cases and anything that you use chat GPT for should probably be its own application or will be at some point. Um, uh, yeah. Interesting.
0: Okay, cool. So let's go back to fine tuning uh because it seems like now there's no reason to train a foundational model unless you have billions of dollars and you have some sort of unique insight like what is the future of fine-tuning and what is the future of well i'd almost want to ask you about what you think about the model of experts that mistral released and like that whole because that seems like a completely different way of doing an llm do you know much about the history of why they chose the moe
1: um I believe uh, and I think there were some rumors circulating that GPT-4 was also an MoE and I think oh. uh what's kind of interesting is like if if anyone could have uh had like the one model the one large model to rule them all it would probably be OpenAI. So I think what's interesting is by them going with the MoE approach or so we've heard with GPT-4 that probably means that there were better results that way which kind of if you think about it uh that's kind of how you would operate like a company right you don't want your lawyer to also write code to also sell you kind of want really good people in those individual in those different roles and then you kind of like umbrella them in an moe of, which we call a company or like your 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 team and so um that actually i think is a really positive sign for uh Open source and for fine tuning because you don't I don't I don't know that you need this like massive model and an insane amount of compute you can actually go very far on a single GPU node, which is actually if you look at the content that's that's why we're taking that approach like we we um, are specifically focusing on how much how far can you go with a single GPU node and I think the answer is really far and it's really untapped and that's the kind of use cases that we really want to push for on uh, with Brev. Mm, that's interesting.
0: Let's take it into business philosophy. What? How big is your team now?
1: Um, we're uh, with two two part time slash contractors. Nice. And uh, we're actually announced the the fourth joining our team soon. Um, we just we actually uh, so we've been we were seven at one point in May, and then Harper uh, joined our team as the head of AI, and she's been absolutely incredible. Like. Um, that we, we pretty much just needed the co-found me, like, uh, the Alec, the CTO and Harper. And with the three of us, we've been able to go pretty far, but, um, we, we do definitely need more. So we're, we're growing our team now, but, uh, Who are
0: you looking for? What, if my listeners kind of either know somebody or them, who, what, what are you looking for?
1: Yeah. So we just brought on someone who's really focused on cloud infrastructure. I think, uh, cloud infra and backend would be interesting, uh, where we, we, I mean, there's definitely no shortage of work to be done there something else though I think a lot of uh what we're doing right now um you know we, we make these notebooks that that are really easy to use I think there's a lot of uh room to uh make notebooks a lot better especially on brev and so that's kind of been, uh, I jokingly call my mornings recess where before I have to get into whatever the day is going to push me in, I can kind of have like unstructured time to do whatever. And so I've just been hacking away on my better notebook experience. And so I actually think now, uh, getting someone who's really good at front end and design someone who can really help make a, f- a phenomenal interface here, uh, would be another good fit for the team. So mm-hmm. those are the kind of two on our mind, um, you know, we, we're seeing some really solid growing usage. We're landing some like pretty significant partnerships, which I can tell you after uh, if, if we pause the recording. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that's very cool. Can
0: you. So uh, when you say notebooks, I'm not quite clear what that is, but I imagine it has something to do with Jupiter. but I still don't fully understand Jupiter. My friend was trying my programmer friend was trying to explain it to me. What what is going on there? Yeah.
1: Um, so imagine like you're reading a blog post and on the blog post, you have, it's like, here's how you do X. And it shows you some snippets of code. You have to go figure out how to run that code, right? You're going to go copy it from the blog post into your, into your code editor. Well, what if your code editor and the blog post were the same thing? Like, what if you could have like literally a blog post where you write, and then when you see a paragraph with code, you can just click it and that'll actually run it. Um, And then you you can kind of like, it's essentially just an interactive programmable blog post in that sense. And so what we're doing is we're writing these blog posts with code in them. And all you have to do to follow along is click each paragraph and it'll tell you, like, here, upload your data. So you can, like, upload your data in that paragraph. And then the next paragraph, and these paragraphs are called cells. And, um, and by the way, like, uh, they actually look like, blo- like, they, we do literally make them as blog posts. Like, Hartford does a phenomenal job explaining them. We're walking through every single thing. Like, if you just go to github.com slash brevdev slash notebooks, you'll see all the notebook guides that we have. Click on any one. If you just read it, you'll probably learn a lot. Just like if you were to read a blog post, even if you don't run the code. Um, there's a lot going on there. She, she does a really good job at just explaining every piece. Um, uh, but yeah, and so I think if you think about it, like notebooks make the ML code really palatable. It, um, And then the next part is making sure that the infrastructure is palatable. And so what, what we're trying to do with Brev is say, hey, if notebooks make the ML piece palatable and we can make a tool that makes the infra palatable, mm-hmm. well then fine-tuning models becomes very palatable.
0: (laughs) Cool. Okay, so there's a couple of questions I want to ask about the the notebooks, but what Mm -hmm. you just said about infrastructure finally zeroed in on what you guys are doing. Uh, And uh, what are the main problems? We talked about a little bit with CUDA, but what are the main problems of setting up this giant... Because with every new computing paradigm, there's always a huge amount of infrastructure that needs to be done. It's happening in crypto. It's happening in all these different places. What is Mm the general high-level landscape of... Um, infrastructure problems uh, that either you that you guys are solving or other people are solving?
1: Yeah, well, let, let's say like, um, I mean, so, <laughs> there's a lot of infrastructure problems that we're solving. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I think like, I, I'll walk through some like high level ones. I mean, one uh, is just simply access to a GPU, mm-hmm. right? If you go to any cloud, like if you go to AWS right now, they have a notebook product uh, and you wanna run an A100, you're not gonna, like, they're, they're gonna try and put you into a longer term contract. They might not have availability. Oh. And this, this applies to a lot of clouds and data centers. And so, um, if any cloud or data center may or may not have the GPU that you need at any given time, well, you just have to kind of keep checking a bunch of different clouds and data centers until one gets one for you. And so, that's what we do. We have an API that connects to a bunch of different clouds and data centers. And we have our own partnerships with data centers where we can get uh, a healthier supply of like A100s and stuff. And so, um, through that API, you can, you, you, it, you, it you can reliably get the GPU that you need. Um, There's also another piece of it, which is I don't think people know which GPU you need, right? If you want to fine-tune missile 7B or missile, mixed MOE, and I told you which she do you need you might not know and even Harper when she's putting together the guide she doesn't know it's 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 a playful you know I think the um the, the thing about this is it's all playful like you, if you approach it with a much more lighthearted mindset you'll get much better results and so you really want to try like what's you know you know you don't want to overfit your model you don't want to you, you you know um on like everything that could be played around with there's something to tweak and so it's kind of like you're cooking right you're going to put a little bit of salt a little bit of olive oil you're going to mm, like no I want to Little bit more of this and so similarly uh you know when you see when I see Harper putting together like the next guide she's trying to get on different GPUs she's trying to see like okay what's the cheapest GPU that we can get um that uh will still train the model uh, sufficiently so for the Mistral MoE guide she's putting together one that that trains on A100s but before that um we actually just released the guide I think on Friday um that that trains it on T4s it's a 4x T4 much cheaper much more available um gpu and so it's really cool that you can kind of do that um you're not going to get as high quality of results it's like it's a quantized model so it's, it's compressed but um that's still like a great starting point um but yeah
0: that's super interesting so where where are we in the curve of gpu production are they coming out with new gpus that are significantly better than the last ones like every six months every year like what's going on there in terms of development
1: yeah, I mean the H100s are already going to be way better than the A100s and you can they're 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 now in production, people are using them. Um I think with with every new GPU model, it tends to always make sense to use it. Uh if if you're, you're trying to push uh kind of that envelope. So I think the H100s are twice as expensive as the A100s, but they're three times as efficient, meaning if you're training, uh it's you're going to save like it's going to be more cost effective to do so. And so um I you know now the H200s are out, I think all of the H100s that are fabricated are already sold, and I believe TSMC in 2025 is already booked up for Nvidia and Apple. So, like, there's definitely a, a sure. squeeze. Yeah, yeah, and that's, <laughs>
0: but that's part of your business as well. Is that your layer that's going to make the squeeze more uh, more efficient?
1: Yeah, just uh, I mean, what, one angle of the business is definitely making sure that during the squeeze, you can get access to uh, the GPUs that you need. And then the other is showing uh, folks through these guides, uh, you know, how far you can get with with your own model. Um, we're working on more things like making it easier to deploy your model, um, working with, you know, partners that we have in the space. So that's really cool. um, folks like replicate in any scale.
0: Very cool. Okay, so then... Um so we talked about h100s a100s uh the so what do you think about cpus and whether we're actually going to be able to use cpus well actually no sorry let me ask this other question first which is on the in the back to that which is uh how different is it to train models on a gpu versus fine tune a model with a gpu versus just running uh, the thing running the the local uh, local version of Mistral, like how three different are those in terms of computation? Uh, what like I imagine the training the foundational model is the most labor intensive, but is fine tuning like is fine tuning going to drop to CPUs at any point, or is it going to be
1: only with GPUs? So I mean you can fine tune on any compute the problem is how like it might not you know it might take 25 years um so it, like um it, the 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 benefit is definitely that you know that's part of the 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 so for in the in the case of the A100s versus H100s right the H100s are more powerful they're more expensive um you could use the cheaper A100 but you just have to do it for more time and so that means got it, got that... You know, it's like, it's just like an optimization calculation for you to make. Um, So if you have hardware, sometimes it might make more sense. Like we worked with some research labs, for example, where they have smaller, weaker GPUs in the lab, but because they've already bought them, the cost optimization makes sense where it's like, I'd rather just let this run for a few days, even if I could do it in a day on Brev or, um, you know, it might even take like a week. And so then it's like, okay, do I want to run it for free for a week on the GPU that I have in the lab, or do I want to run it in a day on in the cloud? And so um, the nice thing though is that we're seeing, you know, with these Apple M chips, they're really powerful. They have really good GPUs on there. Um, I mean, they're consumer grade, but they're but they're good. And so we're seeing people able to actually run models. I think the problem right now is that the running running the model while it can do that, it's very slow. Um, and but that'll get faster. Um, you know, <laughs> the M fours.
0: That was the main problem that I experienced. I downloaded the Mr. All on some application, which I've now forgotten, and somewhere on my computer uh, with the name of, uh, and uh, and then I tried using it in the same way that I would use ChatGPT, and it was crazy slow, and it completely like just made it impossible to use the rest of my computer. And so that's going to be yeah. really interesting once the once the once the 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 chips get start getting better in the consumer implementations is going to be really interesting. It's going to be a wild world in two years, isn't it?
1: yeah yeah i mean even in 16 you know a year ago we were like barely seeing image generation models take place uh right like like stable you know stable diffusion was getting well i guess it was like about a, a year and a half ago what was it like summer 2022 we saw dolly and then we saw stable diffusion and i remember at the time too dolly was like hey we're not gonna render faces like we want to be really careful and then stable diffusion was like Render whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> and then that kind of like kicked off like the AI wars. And then ChatGPT came out where I think ChatGPT was really powerful because if you think about any creative process, if you're building, if you're writing code, if you're drawing, you typically like you put some paint on the canvas and then you start to like make some brush strokes. Or if you see someone, you know, making like a clay pot, they like throw pottery on the spinner and then they kind of like kind of, you know, form it into the form that they want. And ChatGPT gave us the opportunity for the first time to really mm-hmm. say like, Do this, but change something. Or I like this, but here's what I want to iterate. And I think what made it really powerful wasn't so much the chat interface, but it was the first time we got to really feel like AI was a tool. I think you brought up something interesting about uh, automation earlier, right? Where every time for automation, it's like you click a button and some shit's going to happen and you're not in control. And what I think was really interesting about these chat interfaces was just it gave you some, some level of control on the output. Where you could say, yes. oh, I'm to pull this into my creative process now, right? Developers use ChatGPT to help them code, not because it writes all the code, but because we no longer have to have AI be good enough to write all the code for it to be useful, right? I could say, here's a snippet, modify it in X way. Ah, you didn't do it. You clearly don't know how our database works. Here's code from our database, try again. And then it'll do that.
0: Yeah, it's about selectively getting as much context as possible to the model, Which is which is going back to the fine tuning conversation. Which is like, what are what if if I'm interested in getting into AI, where I already have a business um, and I want to apply AI into my business using fine tuning? What are the major use cases, at least that you guys are seeing, or that you can at least think about, or or that
1: come to mind in terms of the use case question? Yeah, I mean, there there are a ton of use cases. I think it probably the way. I mean, yeah, there's there's no shortage of use cases. Pretty much like anything I think that you're doing could, could be benefited with AI in some way. I think what I would really think about is what's like the unfair advantage uh, that your business has as far as data that you're collecting, right? There's probably something that you know, that your business knows where if you were starting to use that data, it'd be like, oh, this is really cool. And suddenly fine tuning will make a lot of sense for you. Um, I don't know what that is. Uh, that will change very much for each business. Um, but I definitely, I mean, I think, Every AI cycle, like the last AI hype cycle in like 2018 too. Uh, uh, and I, I moved to SF in 2016, um, but it kind of like culminated in, oh, you have to have good data. That's hard. <laughs> and so I think we're kind of there again a little bit. I mean, we're, we're definitely, yeah. you know, yeah, I got uh, yeah so much more useful we, we have like uh, in this cycle, obviously. But um, yeah, what data does your business have that, that can really set you apart? That's a great point. So let's go into that San Francisco
0: question because before we started recording, you had mentioned that you moved to San Francisco. You love San Francisco. I grew up in San Francisco. I still love it, but also I moved away because I don't like it as much as I used to like it. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, so, can you talk about more about the scene in terms of like AI and deep tech or whatever, whatever's going on, and what you like about San Francisco?
1: Yeah, I mean, I moved here in 2016. I think there's there's uh, a nice gravity in SF where uh, uh, it kind of attracts quirkier folks it attracts people that aren't really taking the more uh traditional path and that's really fun you end up getting it's like more okay and it's uh to like do weirder things and it's actually you'll feel weird for not doing weird things as opposed to other cities um you know during the pandemic i moved back home and that's that's right when we were trying to pivot with brev and or or trying to like figure out like essentially what brev would end up being and It's funny. I just had a thought like, oh, in SF, if you don't have a job and you're working on something, you're a founder. In San Diego, you're unemployed. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it was like, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was was just funny. Um, So the energy here is kind of is very encouraging and for you in you trying to start something or trying to even just like think about what you know your approach you brought up psychedelics i think there's like a funny saying that people in the world do drugs to party people in sf do drugs to find their place in the world (laughs) and there's 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 kind of a truth to that um or productivity. uh, or productivity but i guess Yeah, 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 yeah. that's definitely been that's definitely been in (laughs) yeah um but yeah, I, I think what has been really interesting about SF before and after the pandemic is anyone who, you know, with the world going so remote and very online and employers, even if they want to bring you back in office, like you can kind of hold your ground a bit and uh, as it, for like larger companies. Um, uh, and actually on that note, I don't know if you saw on the footer of our website, but it says intensely non-remote in SF. So I've seen it on I your think, Twitter
0: too. And yeah, no, yeah. I want to go into that. I want to go more into that, what that means.
1: Yeah, yeah. Definitely we'll talk, we will We can talk about that. Um, but yeah. Uh, anyone who wants to work remote can kind of find a remote job. And, you know, if, if like the best engineers at a company have all moved and bought a house in like the middle of nowhere where they have a lot more land, you know, are you going to fire like your best engineers? Like probably not. So that means that they're probably just staying there. And so um, what that means is the people in SF are the ones that really want to be here. And so I think what's been really interesting is... Uh, the energy in SF has been much more builder-centric. And I think that's actually contributed why AI has tilted so heavily here is it's not as many, there are way fewer business folks and non, uh, I guess there's non-builders in SF than there used to be. Um, that was actually in 2021. It was yeah. August, 2021, when I came back to SF after the pandemic. I did, you know, I went, uh, we really don't like remote work. So I I got into uh, a hacker house with some YC friends from our, our, from our YC batch And every month we just hopped into a different house along the central coast. Uh, My co-founder and I really into surfing. That's where the the logo comes from. (laughs) Um, But uh, so we just, you know, with everything kind of shut down because of the shelter in place uh, and and like, you know, COVID, we just wanted to make sure we can go to the beach. But um, when we got back in August, it just, yeah, it just felt like every time we were walking, we would just see other founders and other people building. And um, you'd go to a bar and you'd hear people talking about like, optimizing their back end which could be totally cringe in other cities but if that's if that floats your boat uh you know yeah i think the other the other thing i really love about tech and this applies to tech broadly but especially in sf like if you want to break into finance um you know your cold emails aren't going to get you anywhere there's just <laughs> i think in, in in tech people have uh have had so much help so quickly and everyone has had a cold email payoff and everyone who's who's built their wealth has done so in a matter of 10 years, which means that it was a relatively short period ago. Like 10 years ago, Brian Chesky was renting out an air mattress to cover rent. And now I don't know how many of the internet's dollars are transacted through Airbnb, right? He remembers that. So if you cold email him, asking for advice, he'll probably respond because it's not that far ago, that, that long ago that he was like depending on someone to reply to his cold email. And there's this much more collaborative energy in tech where everyone's kind of like, playing you know everyone's playing a very positive sum game and everyone's trying to help and you know if i have an investor and you're raising a company or you're starting a company and you're trying to fundraise you know i would love to intro you to my investor there's no reason why that would be bad but if you flip it to another industry like let's say you're in hollywood and you're trying to act like you're trying to be an actor right and you hear about a about a uh like um what's it called when you an audition you're not going to tell your friends because they might take your there's one spot, right? So the game is is infinite in SF and tech. And I think that caters to a lot more of the like collaborative and often also frenetic energy. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah that's a good point. Yeah, uh, uh, Yeah, so what you said about the builders is really interesting because San Francisco has always had that. But then starting with 2009 when all the interest rates couldn't keep up so they had to lower the interest rates, uh, and, a, and a huge, huge amount of money started coming in from PE, uh, private equity, into uh, LPs, into venture funds, and then so that was like one of the ways which all this free money was kind of descending into the economy. That brought the 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 larpers, the 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 people who were not interested in building and were interested in making them free money. Uh, and then what you just said made something clear to me, which is that they've all. Gone all over the world, along with some builders. Like a lot of the builders as well yeah. have, have gone out, outside. It's just a matter of ideology, particularly work-related. Uh, the the I'm I like the remote work because I can go to a place like Florianopolis in Brazil and surf uh and like and like lower cost of living and my burn rate, my expense rate is going to be very cheap. I'm not leaving Buenos Aires until I get to profitability. Um, and uh and so and in San Francisco, it would probably be 10 10x what I'm spending right now um uh but it's also my business my business is 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 different than your business if your your business requires you to be there and it requires to have good engineers on board and everything like that like and so uh uh so so there's all these all these different complexities but um
1: but yeah there's a few things like you you can kind of you can shape your environment to to have more uh um influence from this area right so um i i think even if you're if you don't Live in SF. I think it's always a good idea to come tap in. There's a lot of really good energy here that is influential, and it will probably and it, it is possible that it could change directory uh, or, or trajectory. Sorry. Um, uh, I think another piece too is as as for like working in person. Like I think that's really important if you're trying to figure things out from scratch. If you if um, you know if just the collaborative setting and it doesn't matter where you do that i think just making sure that you're with the folks that you want to get something off the ground with like if you have two teams one is very remote and one is very not remote i would bet on the not remote one to find things like even when our team like around the holidays when we're when we disband and we all go visit our parents and our family um i can see how much that restricts the flow of information because yeah. someone will have an idea someone will have a call and no one will know about it And so that becomes really, that becomes really difficult. Um, But yeah. Mm.
0: Uh, So the last few minutes, let's talk about if you know of anything going on in deep tech, like are any of your friends or your network doing deep tech solutions? Because the AI thing is really interesting. That's why one person would want to go to San Francisco a lot. But then there's also this deep tech thing, which people doing crazy technical solutions to like atom type of problems. Have you found anything out in, in your general network? Anybody I should interview about deep tech?
1: yeah i'm happy to make some intros i uh, have a good friend who's uh building nuclear fusion reactors in canada uh, which is super cool (laughs) um and i think one thing that's been really exciting about the free money no longer flowing is um the i I mean venture debt is actually venturing Uh, sorry venture venture dollars are actually venturing right it's not just kind of like build airbnb for x and i only want to invest in SaaS apps we're actually seeing uh a lot of really cool uh hardware like hardware is cool again. Uh, I remember in 2018 we had a hardware startup and the, the you know investors were just kind of like I don't want to touch it <laughs> and now that's definitely a very a different uh, perspective so that's cool um, I another really cool hardware startup uh, someone's trying to build uh, GPUs where like the GPU memory is the bottleneck on GPUs it's wow. kind of what why we need the more it, it's just effectively how much of the model in your data you could load at any time. Um, and there's a company that's trying to use DDR memory, which is like the RAM that you use in your computer, um, uh, on their own GPUs. So that's another cool like approach. So just another, kind of, you know, thinking outside the box, different type of startup.
0: So for the last few minutes, what is that? What is that specific problem about the GPUs and the memory? What is the problem there?
1: yeah um i mean if you the more powerful gpus like the a100s and the h100 like the the thing that they really um, one one big differentiator is that they have more gpu memory that's effectively how much of a model or the data you could load i I think like a a non-technical way to think of it is like if you have a big map and you're only able to look at through one square how big is that square right and so um, that's the gpu memory um so uh there yeah there's a there's a cool startup i I don't want to butcher their name i think it was it's like positron positional positron i don't remember um i can i'll find it for you and send it though but sure. they're building gpus where they're using ddr memory which is very cheap Got so it. you could have so 5 the gpu memory but there's other issues that come with that uh which is why you they're know folks it. like nvidia are using it yeah yeah, yeah yeah interesting so they're trying to
0: solve that specific one well that's really cool yeah uh thank you so much for coming on the show how can pe- how can the listeners find out more about you and brev
1: yeah um i'm on twitter at uh nader like ladder n-a-d-e-r like ladder um We're uh, go to brev.dev if you want to check out anything, Uh, you know, our team's always pushing things out. So there's a lot of really cool features coming, especially in January. Um, But um, also a bunch of guides. We're actually doing 12 days of Christmas right now. So we have an advent calendar where every day for uh, until Christmas, we're releasing a new guide. So definitely check that out. Um, There's some cool stuff happening. We just released on Friday, the Mixtro MOE being fine-tuned as a Kiwara on T4s. we released GGUF, which is uh how to like fine tune or run the model locally after you finish fine-tuning it. Um and then we released, I think, an, another MOE, another mistral model, uh sorry, Mistral um on Hugging Face data sets. So um so yeah, more stuff coming today and every day until Christmas. Cool. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was great meeting you.
0: Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always you can find me on Twitter at Stuart Alsop I, I, I. Also don't forget to subscribe on Spotify or iTunes for every weekly episode that I publish on Monday mornings. Hope you have a great day.